Awesome. Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, happy Mother's Day, like Tommy said. We hope that you guys get a chance to celebrate the moms in your life and uh, do something together. Hopefully, it's a lot of fun. And uh, welcome. We're so glad to have you. just want to say also, kind of echo what Tommy said, if you're a guest with us here at Medina, and so it's your first time at Grace Church at the Medina campus, we do just want to extend a very special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being our guest, and hope you feel welcome because you are welcome. And my name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Grace, and I will also just say, too, if we've never had a chance to meet, and so if we've never had a chance to kind of have a conversation, I would love to hear how you got connected to Grace. And so if you don't have to leave too quick, please stop me afterwards in the cafe. And I genuinely love to hear how people uh, got connected and would love to get a chance to meet you. And so welcome. And like Tommy also said, we are in the third week of a series today uh, that we have been calling Patterns That Change Us. And if you're just kind of tuning in with that, we've been looking at these different patterns that we see in Jesus's life and in Jesus's teaching that are really designed to transform us, patterns that, that God wants us to implement in our life that lead to the transformation that he desires. So each week, we're looking at these different patterns together. And so last week, we started talking about this pattern, the pattern of solitude and community, solitude and community. And so last week, we spent the whole time talking about this side of, of this pattern. We talked about solitude. And basically, if you missed last week, what we said is we said, how did Jesus practice this pattern in his life? How does solitude show up in the life of Jesus? And then we said, real practically, how should it show up in our lives? For those of us who follow Christ, how do we emulate that same pattern? So we talked real practical, like as practically as we know how to last week about how you can implement that. So I hope some of you have been doing that. I've heard some great stories and, and different things that people have been talking about, about how they've been even implementing some of these patterns in their life. That's wonderful. This week, we're going to talk about the other side of uh, kind of this pattern. We're going to talk about community. We're going to talk about community. And here's, here's what we said last week, if you were here. We said, for those of us who follow Jesus, and I know that not everyone maybe follows Jesus, but for those of us who follow Jesus, we said we actually need both of these. You need both, that we can't have one to the exclusion of the other, that these, that these two patterns of solitude and community, they basically work in like a symbiotic, symmetrical relationship that they kind of are the counterbalance to each other, that one informs and energizes the other. And this is a rhythm, this is a pattern that we see in Jesus's life, and it's a pattern that we want to implement in our lives as well. And so here's what I want to do. As we talk about this idea of community, I want to talk under three headings today. So if you're a type A person and you're like, I want to know the plan, what are we talking about, and how are we doing that? Well, you're going to love this because I'm going to give you three headings that I want to talk under. So here they are. First, I want to talk about, as it relates to community, I want to talk about the pattern of our society. And then after that, I want to talk about the pattern of Jesus. And then lastly, I want to talk about practical responses. Okay, so these are kind of the three sort of big, you know, mile markers that we want to deal with in our conversation uh, today. And so, so here's where I want to start. Let's just start at the top. Let's talk about the pattern of our society. So as it relates to community, what is the pattern of our society? So let me just tell you, I know that here, if you, if you come to the Medina East Campus regularly, you might know that we usually will, first thing, open our Bibles and look at God's word together. Uh, but today, we're actually going to do something a little bit different. And we're actually going to start first here with the pattern of our society. We'll talk about that. We're going to get in the Bible later. I want to first start by talking about the pattern of our society. Now, why do I want to start here? Well, let me see if I can put it this way. So the reason I think it's so important to start here, uh, when I was... Uh, four or five years old. So when I was a little kid, I remember I was at my grandparents' house and I grew up here in Akron. And so we were at my grandparents' house and I was in their basement 
And like many people that live in Northeast Ohio, in their basement, they have a dehumidifier, okay? And so they had this dehumidifier and it had been there as long as I could remember. But for some reason on this one particular day, I, my curiosity must have struck me because I started to look, pay attention to this dehumidifier and I was noticing the bucket in the back and how it was, you know, gathering water and all this kind of stuff. And it just, it just struck me. And I remember I thought to myself, what is that thing? And so I went to my grandpa and I asked him, I said, grandpa, what is that thing? And my grandpa said, it's a dehumidifier. And I said, well, what does it do? I said, is it like, um, is it like a water-making machine? Because it just seems like it just keeps making water, like buckets and buckets of water. And so is that what it does? And he says, no. He said, it's not a water-making machine. He said, what it does is it pulls water out of the air, and it condenses it, and it puts it into this bucket, and you can see it there. And this was the first time, at least to my recollection, that it occurred to me that there was water in the air. And I, I remember I was like, what? I was like, there's water in the air? And my grandpa was like, oh, yeah. He said, you know, at any given moment, there are millions, probably billions of gallons of water in the air, especially here in Northeast Ohio, right, where we are pretty much part amphibian here. And, and so he's like, there is, there is so much water in the air. And I was like, what? And I was like, well, how come I can't see it? Like, I don't see it. And he said, well, you can't see it because it's in vapor form. He says, but it, it's affecting us. It affects you all the time. Now, now, here's the reason I think that's so important is because here, here's what all of us know. There are factors that are in our environment that we are unaware of that are affecting us all the time. And this is true with a lot of things. This is true not just with humidity, uh, but this is also true with society. This is true with the culture that we live in. I think this is true spiritually that at any given time, there is an air that we breathe that we don't even think about, that we don't even notice, but it's affecting us all the time. And so the reason I bring that up is because of this. As it relates to the topic of community, I think, I think that there has been an atmospheric shift in our society that affects the way that we view community. It affects the way we view each other, we relate with each other, and quite honestly, the way that, that we relate to God as well. And so my hope is, at least for this first part of the talk, my hope is to be a dehumidifier. That's what I'm hoping to be. And so my hope is to pull out of the air, the air that we breathe, and show you uh, basically what is sort of within our society right now. Because like I said, and it's so important that we do this, because like I said, it affects us. It affects us. And I think it's important that we pull it out of the air and we show it to us because that will help us inform us, make better decisions, and also know to, how to adapt and know how it is affecting us. Okay, so what do I mean? Let's just think about this. The pattern of our society. What is the air that we breathe in 21st century America, Medina, Ohio? All right, well, here's the first thing. Let's just pull it out of the air. The first thing is that we are breathing the air of an atmosphere of individualism, of individualism. We live in a society of what sociologists would call radical individualism. Now, this is probably no surprise to any of you. You probably have heard this before. But sociologists would look at our society in America, and they would say that we are more radically individualistic than any other society in the known history of humanity. And so we are radically individualistic as a society. Now, by the way, individualism, if you're not uh, sure what that is, individualism is basically a system of thinking that places the primary focus, freedom, uh, the primary focus on the freedom, the feelings, and on the opinions of the individual over the collective whole. And so individualism is basically a shift from we to me. It's basically the whole idea. 
And there has been a shift this way, and increasingly so, in the society that we live in today. In fact, one of the, um, one of the hallmark books that was written on this topic was actually written back in 2000. It was written at the dawn of, uh, of the beginning of this century, and it was by a guy named Robert Putnam. Robert Putnam is a Harvard political scientist, and, uh, and he wrote this book that's called Bowling Alone. And in this book, he actually points out a very dominant theme. Here's what he says in this really interesting book, Bowling Alone. He says, for the first two-thirds of the 20th century, a powerful tide bore Americans into deeper engagement in the life of their communities. But a few decades ago, silently, without warning, that tide reversed, and we were overtaken by a treacherous rip current. And so basically what Putnam uh, asserts in his book is he says that for the first half or, or more, first two-thirds of the 20th century, that America had a we mentality, that, that we were built into community, that there was a collective kind of identity. But he said that starting in the 70s, somewhere in the 70s, there was a sudden shift. And he calls this shift, he says, a treacherous rip current. And he talks about it, that it's individualism. And he says, from 1970 to 2000, there has been less engagement. There has been a rapid decrease in social involvement. And this is true across the board. So this is true in political participation is down. Civic participation is down. Workplace networks are lower. Uh, informal networks like bowling leagues and those type of things are mostly a thing of the past. And basically he's saying people are less and less involved. This is not just true in the church. This is just true in society. Now what's fascinating is this book was written in 2000. Since then, so we're about 20 years after that, since then sociologists would say it has just continued to, to, to escalate into more and more radical individualism. So this has caused experts to ask this question. And the question is why? What is causing us to become more radically individualistic as a society? And as you can imagine, there's a lot of different factors that they identified, but there is one, there is one primary culprit that every uh, sociologist would look at and say, bar none, that is the greatest contributing factor to our individualism. And my guess is, you only have to be a sociologist to figure this out, my guess is you already know what it is, right? In fact, let me just ask you, you're not a sociologist or anything, but let me just ask you, if I was to ask you, what do you think is the number one culprit that is leading us into greater individualism as a society, what do you think it would be? Total class participation. Yes, the man holds up his phone. Amen. Technology. It is technology. And sociologists would say that is absolutely the case. I just want you to think about this with me for a minute. Again, I'm just trying to be a dehumidifier. I'm just trying to pull us out of the air. Think about this with me for a minute. How many of you in the room are 26 years old or younger? Put your hand up for a minute. Okay, great. Thanks. We love you. We're glad you're here. Don't lie in church. <laughs> so... 20, 26 years old. Okay, good. All right, thank you. We love you. We're so glad you guys are here. I want you to think about this for a minute, all right? So if you're 26, the year you were born, the year you were born uh, back in 1993, there was 130 websites uh, total, like in the universe, 130 websites. Some of you are like, 130? You're like, I look at 130 websites a day on accident, right? And I'm like, I know. There, there wasn't a lot of browsing back in this time. The internet didn't become widely available and useful until the mid-90s, really. Think about this. In 1996, email was popularized. So there was email before this time, but it became popular and widely used in 1996. And for some of you who were born during that time, do you remember when this happened? It was revolutionary. It, it was blowing our minds. We were like, you mean to tell me if I type something on my screen over here, 
it's going to somehow go up magically into the interwebs and by witchcraft, like go over to that guy's screen over there. We were just like, blew our minds. Revolutionized the way that we do work, revolutionized the way that we do relationships, we interact with each other. That was 1996. Think about this, 1998, if you are 21 years old, the same year that you were born is the year Google was born. And so what that means is before the year you were born, no one ever Googled anything ever, ever. Like if you ask someone like, hey, did you Google that? It would sound like really inappropriate. And they would be like, look, my family doesn't do that. We're not those kind of people, right? And it's just like a, it's a thing. So, so Google shows up on the scene and then on and on it goes. Look at this, 1999 texting across networks becomes a reality. 2000, the camera phone emerges. 2004 is when social media really began to heat up. Facebook shows up on the scene. 2005, YouTube. 2005, YouTube. Look at this. 2006, Twitter. 2010, Instagram. 2011, Snapchat. Netflix streaming comes out in 2011. You guys remember that? Remember before Netflix streaming, if you wanted to go get a, if you wanted to watch, we had to go get it. You remember that? It was a terrible time to be alive. That's what happened. Uh, 2013, selfie. The term selfie was invented. 2014, Alexa comes out. 2015, Echo shows up. And I mean, I could go on and on, but I just want to give you a snapshot. Just look. Look in the past 10, 20 years. The things that we would look at as part of our normal life are just all born in this period of time. I was reminded of the very different world that our kids are growing up in. The other day I was driving. My wife and I were driving, and we had the, we have four kids. We had the four kids in the back of the van, and we're listening to the radio. My four kids are all under 10 years old. And so we're driving. We're listening to the radio, and my oldest son from the back just yells out. He goes, Alexa, next song. I was like, buddy, it's a radio. It doesn't work that way. And he's like, what's a radio? And I'm like, forget about it. You know, and it's just it's like a different world. It's a different world that we live in today. And it's affecting us. It has a big thing to do with it. And all this happens. So just think, just think about this for a minute. This is crazy to me. Think about this. 2007 is when the first iPhone came out. And this is a little over 10 years ago. Now think about this for a minute. This is crazy. We live in a society where in 2004, 45% of teens owned a cell phone. Now 95% do. Within the life of the youngest among us in this room, we have went from what is an internet to a place where 74% of 18 to 34-year-olds report feeling panic when they don't have their phone. Panic. You ever do it before? You ever step out and forget your phone and realize it and all of a sudden you're like, ah! <laughs> I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what my friends are eating. I'm just out here. <laughs> you ever do it before? It's crazy. It's crazy. It's it's. There's a study that was done by a market research called Nelson. This market research group uh, concluded this. They said in 2018, Americans spend an average of 11 hours a day looking at a screen. 11 hours a day. And I thought, there's no way. And then I started to calculate, and I thought, oh, yeah, easy. It's easy. And, and here's all I'm saying is it, it's affecting us. It affects us. And sociologists would say this has fueled individualism. Everything is personalized, everything is customized, everything is individualized, everything is on demand. You have it when you want it, how you want it, and you get to determine all of those things. And they said, this has affected us in amazing ways. Now, here's what you would think. You would think that now, because we are more connected technologically than we've ever been, that that would equate to the fact that we would be more connected relationally than we've ever been. But it's so interesting is that we, psychologists have found the opposite is the case. Um, there, that, that leads me to this next thing. So what is the atmosphere of our society? It's an atmosphere of individualism, and it's an atmosphere of isolation, of isolation. 
Um, there is a staggering amount of research that is done. I don't have time to get into all of it, but suffice it to say that there is so much research that is done that talks about how individualism and the advent and the rise of technology has actually led to greater isolation, that we feel more alone than we've ever felt before. I'll just give you one quote. This comes from a woman named Sherry Turkle. Sherry Turkle is a sociologist out of MIT. She's the leading voice in uh, how technology is affecting the human condition. And so she's been studying this for the past three decades. And here's kind of her bottom line conclusion. She says this, she says, we're lonely as a, fearful, as a society, but we're fearful of intimacy. Digital connections offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. I thought that was really well put. I thought that was really, I think she articulated what many of us feel. And what do we feel? We're lonely, we're lonely, but we're scared because digital connections have given us this illusion of companionship. We think that just because we know what each other are doing and what each other is eating, that we actually know each other, that we have a relationship. But the truth is that real friendship has high demands on it. It's messy. Relationships are difficult, they're hard, they can be awkward at times. And so we're scared sometimes of what the cost of friendships might be. And what this has resulted in, quite honestly, is that for many of us, we prefer technology over human relating. We'd rather text than talk. We'd rather ask Siri than ask the person that works at the store to help us with something. And I see it in myself, I, I'm the same way. And all I'm saying again, is I'm just trying to pull it out of the atmosphere. It's affecting us, it's affecting us. It's led to greater isolation, and then here's the last thing I'll, I'll just say. It's an atmosphere of individualism, an atmosphere of isolation, and it's an atmosphere of withering. It's an atmosphere of withering. And again, you would think, you would think that with all of this incredible advancement that we've seen, that it would lead to greater human vitalization, but we've actually found the opposite is true. That has actually led to devitalization, that in many ways humans are, humans are withering in a lot of different ways in our society. It's a study that was published by a global health service company called Cigna, and they said that loneliness in our country today is what they call at, at the level of epidemic high. They would say compared to previous generations, we are lonelier than we've ever been. Uh, there was a study that was done by Huffington Post. Huffington Post, which is by no stretch of the imagination, a conservative or religious paper. What they did is they were trying to figure out what are some of the major changes that we see in young adults today. And so they consulted a study that was done by UCLA. They, they surveyed over 150,000 college students on 200 different campuses throughout America. And they found a lot of different trends. But can I just show you the top three trends that they found that distinguishes this young generation from the others? And here's what it is. Number one, young adults are considerably less religious. When asked, college freshmen were asked, uh, what religion do you affiliate with? One in four said none. Uh, one in four. You compare that to a generation previous to that, one in 10 would say the same thing. Uh, trend number two, time spent with others is at an all-time high or an all-time low. So time with, uh, with friends, with peer groups, being connected to other people and community is at an all-time low. And then number three, stress, loneliness, and depression are at an all-time high. And so those things are exponentially higher than they've ever been. And, and I think, again, I think what we see is that this is the air we're breathing. And this is the atmosphere in which we live in, and it is affecting us. It is affecting us. Whether we know it or not, we're aware of it or not, it is affecting us. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you at this point in the conversation are saying, okay, all right, I see where this is going. Here it comes. Now is when the pastor's gonna tell me that I need to get rid of my phone because it's from the devil. 
and I need to get rid of all technology, and we just need to go all move off of the grid somewhere in the middle of the boonies, and we need to make our own clothes and churn our own butter, right? That's what you're going to tell me right now. And so let me just say, um, no, no, I don't think so. There, there are some very clear advantages to living in the cultural moment that we live in right now, right? Like, I don't miss Encyclopedia Britannica. You guys remember that thing? My goodness, I don't miss that. I don't miss paper maps. You guys remember that was bad. Like, I don't, we live in an awesome society, one in which if we hear about a need on the other side of the world, we can respond right now. That's awesome. That's awesome. However, I think it's important that we understand the pattern of our society so we can know how it's affecting us so that we can adapt, so that we can make changes, so that we can flourish as people. And that leads me to the second thing. And here's the second thing. You have the pattern of society, then you have the pattern of Jesus, the pattern of Jesus. And here's what we believe here at the Medina campus, unapologetically, here's what we believe at Grace Church. And I know that not everyone in this room is a follower of Jesus. Some of you are still investigating Jesus. But we believe that the way of Jesus is the way of life. We believe that Jesus came not to burden us, but to liberate us. And that by following him, it doesn't lead to withering, it leads to flourishing. And so what is the pattern of Jesus? Well, let's just talk about that. As it relates to community, I think the starting place, if you're gonna understand Jesus's pattern of community, there's a basic assumption that underlines this whole pattern. And it's this, here it is. The first thing is that God created us for community. This is the beginning point. We are created for it. We are, it, is a, it is a created itch that God has placed inside of each one of us to be connected to each other in meaningful ways. This actually goes all the way back to the creation, back in Genesis. And so the Bible actually tells us this. The Bible says God created the heavens and the earth. God created vegetation and plants and animals. And then God creates man. And in Genesis chapter two, and this is really significant, before sin even enters into the world, in Genesis chapter two, God looks at what he has created. He looks at the man in the garden and he says this, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good. So God looks at his perfect creation, everything he's made, and he sees the man there by himself with the animals and God goes, ooh, that's not good. That's, that's not, that guy's gonna get weird real quick if he hangs out with them animals. <laughs> and, so, and so listen, God's like, that's not good. He needs human relation. Now, this is so significant because I just want you to catch this. God didn't create Adam and say, Adam, I'm all you need. Adam, just me and you. And as long as it's me and you in creation, then you got everything you know. No, he says, it's not good. It's not good. Yes, you need me, but you need other people too. You need to be connected in meaningful human relationships. It's vital to your flourishing. And I would say that we gotta start there. It's true for you too. It is stamped inside of your humanity. It is not good for you to be alone. That's why last week when we talked about solitude, we said solitude is very important, but by itself, it's very dangerous. And so it needs to be paired with community. Community is essential for you to be able to grow that Jesus wants you to grow. And so yes, the way of Jesus uh, assumes that God created us for community. Here's the second thing I want you to notice. The pattern of Jesus is that Jesus himself creates community. Jesus himself creates community. What's so interesting is when you read the New Testament, when you read the gospels in the life of Jesus, you see something very fascinating. And what you see is that Jesus didn't simply come to live his life and die for the sins of humanity so that he could offer us forgiveness of sins in a personal relationship with him. He did that, but he did way more than that. 
Because what is one of the first things that Jesus does when he launches his ministry? Well, if you read the Gospels, it's very clear. One of the first things he does is he begins to call disciples to himself. He doesn't just preach sermons to crowds and heal people. The Bible says that he builds a community around himself. And by the way, the community that he builds of disciples were vastly diverse people. They were people who were from different socioeconomic backgrounds. They were people who were from different political persuasions. And Jesus took this diversity of a group of people who would have no earthly business of ever being together, and he unifies them around a common commitment of discipleship to Jesus. Jesus wants to build a community of diversity within himself, and that's his way. This is the way he does this. And I think when you look at Jesus, you see this. I actually thought about this this past week. I literally never noticed this my entire life until this past week. But did you know when you go through the Gospels, what you'll find is that Jesus was never recorded as having spending one-on-one time with any of his disciples. So the Bible is never like, and then Jesus went and spent some one-on-one time with Peter. And then after that, he hung out with Thomas for a little while. And then he went with John and they got some, some PT, you know, some personal time together. It never says that. Now, now, Jesus got time with his father, but he would be one on three. He would be one on 12. He would be one on 70. And what is that revealing to us? Well, here's what I think it does. I think it stresses an important, but oftentimes overlooked point. And that's this, you're not supposed to follow Jesus alone. You were just never intended to. Like, yes, I'm not saying you shouldn't have a personal relationship with Christ, of course, but you were never intended, designed to follow Jesus alone. Jesus never had a disciple. He always had disciples. And it was in that network of community that he would ultimately change them in those ways. And so here's what we see. Jesus himself creates community. And I think the reason he does this is because Jesus changes us in community. Let me just say, if you're a follower of Christ and you're in this room, one of the primary vehicles that God wants to use, one of the primary catalysts that God has designed to bring about the transformation that he desires in your life is community. It is other people who follow Jesus and it is weaving your lives together in community that's going to transform you. It's, it's, it's that kind of community. You know, the problem with an atmosphere of individualism, there are, there are clearly some benefits to living in an individualistic society. We get some things right. So one of the things we get right is we all know, for those of us who follow Christ, that we need to have a personal relationship with Christ. Like, we got that. We all know that we need to have a faith that wasn't inherited from our parents. We need to personalize our own faith and make it our own. I think we get that right. But here's one thing I think that we miss. We miss the importance of being bound together in the community that God desires for us. You know, for sure, living in an individualistic society has affected the way that we view church, without a doubt. There was a George George Barna survey that was done. George Barna is a church church study guy. That's his his official title, church study guy. And he... um, He's a professional in, in church stats. And he basically did this study where he surveyed a group of Americans who are Christians and he asked them this question, what is your preferred method of discipleship? And listen, the bulk, the vast majority of American Christians, when, we're, when they were asked that question, what is your preferred method of discipleship? They checked the box on my own. In other words, they said, I want Jesus, but I don't want you. I want Jesus, but I don't need a church. I see my Bible, I just need my podcasts, I just need me and Jesus, I can just be discipled on my own. Now, let me just say this, let me just say this. I think that's a byproduct of individualism because, because here's the thing, the idea of being a Christian and not being connected to other people who follow Jesus in a meaningful way 
is a bizarre and foreign idea to both the New Testament and to church history. This is a recent thing. This is an anomaly. This whole thing that I can follow Jesus, but I don't need other Christians. The New Testament and church history would look at us and go, what? We don't even have a category for understanding that. It's so weird. Let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. In the New Testament, we talk about this at the Benita East Campus sometimes. In the New Testament, you are gonna find that there are over 50 one another commandments that are given throughout scripture, one another. I'll just give you a sampling. There's over 50 of these, but here's a sample. Romans 12 says, be devoted to one another. Colossians 3 says, bear with one another and with your burdens. 1 Thessalonians says, comfort one another. 1 Thessalonians says, encourage one another. 1 Peter says, use your gifts to serve one another. James says, confess your sins to one another. Romans says, to honor one another above yourself. I guess there's over 50 of these. There's over 50 of these. And here's the point. It's impossible for you to be fully obedient to this pattern of life as a follower of Jesus without being meaningfully connected to the lives of other people who follow Christ. You just can't do it. You cannot one another without another. Right? You could tweet that if you want to. You can't want another without another. You shouldn't want another yourself. That's what would be weird. And it doesn't sound good. All right, so, so you got that, right? I think not only that, I also think, I think that the way individualism has affected us, individualism has affected the way we read the Bible. So I'll, I'll just give you an example on this one. Let me show you some famous verses. So maybe you've read these before, some famous verses. Uh, it says, you are God's building in 1 Corinthians. Ephesians says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. Colossians 2 says, so you are complete through your union with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 says, you're the body of Christ. Now, here, here, here's why I show you these verses. A lot of times, because of the air that we breathe, because we are individualistic and isolated as a society, we tend to read these as addressed to me. These are to me, I, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. My, my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's by grace that I have been saved through faith, not from myself, right? I am complete in Christ. I am complete. But here's the interesting thing. In the Greek language, most of the time the word you is used, it is plural in the Greek language. Unfortunately, in the English language, we don't have an equivalent to that. We don't have a plural version of you. The best that we have is like down in the South, right? You got y'all. Or if you're in Pennsylvania, you got yins. I thought, I, thought this was, I thought this was interesting. Don't do this right now. But if you go online, you can look up, there's something called a Texas Bible plugin. And if you insert it into your Bible, it will insert y'all wherever it is a plural version of you. It's awesome. I actually did it. Let me just show it to you real quick. So this is how these should read. All right? For y'all, y'all are God's building. Y'all, right? Look at this. For it's by grace y'all been saved. You got to use the accent, don't you? Yeah. It's by grace y'all been saved. Through faith, it's not from y'all self. Right? Look at this. this y'all are complete in Christ. Y'all. Now, that's really important. You, you catch that? The Bible does not say you are complete in Christ. You. It says y'all are complete in Christ. What's that mean? It means we need each other. We're incomplete without each other. This whole, this whole notion that I, I'm complete in Christ and I have everything I need, even Jesus would disagree with that. He would say, no, 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 we need each other. We need, I've designed it that way. I've created it that way. It's what I've designed for you. And so we, we need this in our lives. And then here, here's the last thing. So God created us for community. Jesus himself creates community. He changes us through community. And then 
Jesus changes the world through his community. So, so this is so important. The way that Jesus wants to change the world is never through an individual. He wants to do it through a community. That's been his intention all the way from in Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against it. He said, I'm gonna build a group. I'm gonna build a crew. And that crew is going to be called the body of Christ. And what's that mean? It means that those of us who follow Jesus, that we're y'all unique and we're different and we're different parts of that body and Christ in me and Christ in you brings Christ's presence to each other and Christ's presence to the world. It's how he wants to change the world. It's how he brings his presence into our society. He puts a church in the world because he cares and he wants his presence to be there and it happens together. That's how it works with Christ. So here's what we have. Pattern of society, we have the pattern of Jesus. Let's go move on to this last thing. Practically speaking, as practical as I know how to get, how do we respond? So how should, how should we respond to this? We see what our society's like, we know that. We see the way of Jesus, so what are some steps for us? Okay, so here's what I wanna do. I wanna give you some next steps, some very clear and practical next steps of steps you can take towards Jesus' vision for community. But let me just tell you, before we look at these steps, I just wanna encourage you with a couple things. First off is this. I wanna encourage you here today to just take your next step. Take your next step. And I'm gonna show you a bunch of steps, and some of you may feel overwhelmed by that. But I would just say, hey, you know what? Baby steps. Just take your next step. Just one step at a time towards this. And then let me also just say this. I just think it's so important to say every single time, getting connected to Christian community is not going to make you more loved by God. And it's not going to earn you more favor with God. That's not why we do these things. But being connected to Christian community, it will change you. It will transform you and it will make you closer to God because it's a pattern that changes you. So I'm not saying any of this to guilt you. It's not a guilt trip. I'm saying this because I believe God wants something for you. He's after your flourishing. I think God loves you so much and he's designed us for these things. And so this isn't about being a better Christian or about earning anything. This is about knowing Jesus and being transformed more like him. It's a pattern that changes us. Okay, so having said all of that, here's number one. Step one, practical responses. Here we go. I would say first and foremost, let's start here. Follow Jesus, follow Jesus. And here's what I mean by this. So I know that uh, some of you in this room maybe are not followers of Christ. Maybe you're exploring Christianity, you're investigating Jesus, uh, and you're here. To, and we say this all the time, and I genuinely mean it. We count it such an honor that you would let us be part of your investigate. You could do anything you want with your Sunday morning, but you're here. So thank you. We don't take that lightly. Maybe the only reason you're here for some of you is because your mama drug, drug you out here today. It's Mother's Day. She's like, I want you to come in church. And so you're here. And if that's the case, can I just tell you something? Good job. Way to love your mom. That's a great thing. God loves that when you love your mom. So good stuff. All right. But I just want to say this. It begins here, following Jesus. And so here at Grace, we believe, and I believe with all my heart, that the, the, the pathway to everything good that God wants in your life starts here. It just starts in surrendering your life to Christ. And what does it mean to surrender your life to Christ? Well, practically speaking, here's what it means. You don't have to say a magic prayer. You don't have to do any kind of seance or anything weird. Just between your heart and God's heart, you can just say, uh, Christ, Jesus, pray to him. I have tried to define and direct my life on my own, and it has only led to greater withering. And so I realize I am not the best candidate to lead my life. 
I believe that in you is the way of life and is the way of freedom. And so I surrender my life to you. I wanna follow you. I want you to be the one that defines the direct life. You can do that. You can do that right now. I think it's the best decision you could ever make. So anyway, start here. Follow Jesus. Now, next step. For some of you, this is your first step. For some of you, this is your, your next step. Commit to a church family. Commit to being part of a local church family. I think that's really important. Um, now, again, I just, man, I want you to hear me on this. I'm, I'm not saying this to shame anybody. I'm just not saying this for that reason. But for some of us in the room, for some of you in the room, you are kind of a church bouncer. And so, so you bounce in here sometimes, and then it'll be several months, and then you bounce, bounce back. And we love it when you're here. We love it when you're here. But, but you just, you bounce. For some of you, um, for you, you bounce to different churches, and so you're here one week and then you're at a different campus the next week and then you go over the road here and then maybe you just jump around to different places. And for some, for some, the way that you interact with the church is maybe more like you do with a television show. You're a viewer, you watch it, but you're not participating in it. Um, if you're a person who's watching online right now um, and that's kind of your primary way that you engage this service, that's a wonderful thing. But maybe your next step is to be with others. I think that's significant. If you're listening on the podcast right now, I'm just telling you, you're missing out because I am very attractive. And so that alone is worth the price of admission. So I don't know why that's funny. All right, so just get committed. Get committed to a church family. I will be the first one to tell you this. Grace Church is not the only gospel-centered church in town. There are other awesome churches in, in, in our uh, kind of in our community. And I would just tell you, even if you don't get connected to this church, that's fine. Get connected somewhere. Get connected somewhere. If, you don't, if you're like, I don't like this church, I can give you recommendations of awesome churches that I love, that we love and we support. And I would just say, get connected somewhere. It is healthy for you to do that. It is healthy to get rooted somewhere. And then I would say, follow Jesus, commit to a church. For some of you, here's your next step. Get regular. Get regular. And I don't mean eat a high-fiber diet. That's also important for another time, different talk for another time. But get regular. Here's what I mean is like, man, make it a priority and, and make it something that you come often, maybe less than once a month. Get connected. You know, try to make it a priority to be here every week. And here's why I tell you that. It's not because it's like, well, the pastor said I need to be in church. Well, the reason is, is simply this, because we all know this. Community is the byproduct of commitment. This is true. This is true. There is no transformation without repetition. There's just not. I mean, that is such an important statement. There is no transformation without repetition. This is true with so many things in life. It's just true with just about everything in life. If you wanna grow, it happens through repetition. We live in a society that loves novelty. We love new things. We like fresh things. We like different things. And that's cool. But I think all of us know that doing things repeatedly change us. Like if I just went to the gym once a year, that would be better than not going. But it's going repeatedly that's going to bring about results. It's gonna transform you. And that's true as it relates to, to church as well. I love this quote. This comes from Christopher Smith and John Pattison. They wrote a book called Slow Church. And then I think they said it so well. They said, spiritual formation occurs primarily in the context of community. Long-term interpersonal relationships, I love this, are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. People who stay grow, people who leave don't. It's a simple but profound biblical reality that we both grow and thrive together or we don't grow much at all. I think that's just dead on. And what he's saying is there's a direct correlation between your spiritual growth and your connectivity to other people that follow Jesus. If you stay, you grow. If you leave, you don't. 
And there's just something to that. So, so we have that. Here, here's the next step. For some of you, here's your next step. Get in a life group. Get connected to a life group within our church. Some of you have heard us talk about life groups here at Grace. We talk about them fairly often. Uh, life groups, what those are is there are smaller communities of people within our church that meet within homes throughout the week. And uh, so it happens all throughout the week. People meet in homes, smaller communities of people. They meet with the expressed purpose of discipleship to Jesus. And so it's about following Jesus together and helping other people follow Jesus, disciples that make disciples. Anyone who, anyone's invited, even if you don't follow Jesus, I would encourage you to get connected as we try to seek out, investigate, and follow Jesus in those groups. Now, the reason we do life groups, by the way, uh, we understand that life groups are not the only way that a person can have biblical community in their life, but are the way that we at this church organize biblical community. And the reason we do this, by the way, is because it is built off the pattern that we see in Jesus's life and the pattern that we see in the early church. And so what do you see in Jesus's life? Jesus was with large crowds of people, but then he would be with this small group of disciples. You see the same pattern enacted in the early church. The Bible says in the book of Acts that the church would meet together in public spaces like this, like big public spaces, but then they would meet in their homes and they would share life together. They would share meals together. They would involve themselves in each other's lives. And so we see that for the early church, faith was not simply one day a week and it wasn't simply one building structure. It surpassed all of those things. And so we would say in trying to keep, with, keep in step with that pattern, that's why we do things like life group. Now, let me just say, for some of you, this step right here terrifies you. It just absolutely terrifies you. For some of you, it took all the guts you have just to come here today. And, 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 and you were like, man, this is a big step for me. And if that's the case, let me just say, I understand that baby steps, one step at a time, all right? But for some of you, you've been here for a while. You've been here for a while and you're not connected to one of these yet. You're not connected in a life group. And, and I think because of that, listen, here's the thing. Um, this is a step that I understand is difficult and it can be awkward. It is an awkward step to make, especially in our society. And that's why I think this next thing is so important. So we would say this, you're gonna have to embrace the awkward. You're just gonna have, this is something we say at Grace quite a bit. This is actually why we hired Steve Van Meter. Uh, <laughs> if you guys know Steve, you would get exactly what I'm talking about, right? So but we talk about this. We have to embrace the awkward. If you're gonna grow, you have to be uncomfortable. It's just true. It's just true. It's just the way it works in life. So let me just say, if you decide to check out a life group this week, which I hope you do, there, you can check them out on our website. You can check them out in the cafe. Uh, there's little cards. But let me just say that if you're gonna check out a life group, let me just tell you what to expect. This is normal. It's gonna tell you what to expect. You're gonna drive to somebody's house that you've never been to before. And on the way, you're gonna try to convince yourself to turn the car around 40 times. And you're gonna say to yourself, uh, I just wanna go home and watch Netflix and put on my give up pants. Like, can't I just do that? Because that's your comfort zone. That's your comfort zone. It's gonna be awkward. And then you're gonna get to that person's house and you're gonna ring the doorbell and your heart is going to be beating out of your chest because you're like, why am I doing this? And then they're gonna open the door. You know what's gonna happen? It's gonna be awkward. It's someone else's house. It's gonna smell weird to you. It's gonna smell different. They're gonna decorate different than you do. And then you know what you're going to have to do? You have to talk to people. Gosh. And you're going to have that dilemma. What am I supposed to do with my hands? Do they go in my pocket? Do I, what am I supposed to do? And it's going to be awkward. And you know what's going to happen in life group? Let's tell you what's going to happen in life group. There's going to be a person in your life group that talks too close and has bad breath. That's going to happen. 
And there's gonna be someone that has different political views than you do, or there's gonna be in a socioeconomic class different than you. There's gonna be people that offend you or say things that intrigue you or challenge you. And I'm just telling you, it's gonna be awkward, but you gotta embrace it because it'll change you. It'll change you over time. You have to be willing to embrace the awkward. I love the way John Tyson puts, John Tyson's a church planter in New York City. He said this, he said, Christian community, his definition is it is a web of, I just love this so much, stubbornly loyal relationships. Just so stubborn, we are not quitting. Stubbornly loyal relationships knotted together, isn't that a great word? Knotted together in a living network of persons committed to practicing the way of Jesus in a common life together. That's why I love that definition. We gotta be stubborn about it, man. You gotta be stubborn. You gotta say, no, this is a pattern that changes me. We are living in a different atmosphere. I need to accommodate to that for the thriving that Jesus wants. I remember I talked to a person recently and they said to me, they said, hey, um, can, I, can I confess something to you? Which is always a really fun way to start a conversation. I said, sure. I said, sure, you know, whatever. And they said, um, sometimes I don't feel like going to life group. And they were like, is that, is that wrong? And I was like, no, that's not wrong. That's normal. I said, let me tell you, my wife and I, we got a name for that. We said, we call it the pregame dread, and then we call it the postgame joy. And so here's what happens. Every, our life starts on Wednesday. Here's what happens every Wednesday without fail. I walk into the house after work. I'm tired. The kids are the kids. We have four of them, so it's like a zoo. And, and I come in, and we're like, we got life group tonight. I'm like, I don't want to. I don't wanna. Can't we just watch the movie instead? And just we just need to rest tonight. And that's what we do. And then we say, um, no. No, we gotta be stubborn about it. We need this. And so we do it. And guess what happens at the end of life group every night? We get the post-game joy. And we say, oh man, man, we needed that. Man, that was man, that one, that that thing that that guy shared. Christ in him. I needed Christ in him to spur Christ in me. We needed each other. And it brings about the real change and transformation God desires. Here's the last thing. Use your gifts to serve others. For some of you, this is your next step. Use your gifts to begin serving other people. Listen, I think this is really one of the big goals is Christian community is never intended to be something where there's spectators. It's everyone's involved. It's a family. We're a body. Everyone has different gifts and we're to use those gifts to serve each other. And so I would just say, if you're a follower of Jesus and you are not using the gifts and abilities that God has given you to shoulder a regular responsibility where other people are depending on you, I think it's really important that you do that. I think God wants to use that to grow you. And so maybe that means talking to your life group leader and saying, hey, how can I help shoulder a regular responsibility so that I could be part of this group? Or maybe it means doing that here at our campus. That's why we have this thing called the Discovery Pathway. Discovery Pathway is designed to help you go from being interested in grace to invested in grace and all along the way. And that all starts with intro. There's an intro coming up on June 9th. You can register for that on your uh, Connect card or on our website, either one of those. But I just would say, whatever your next step is, take your next step to putting this pattern in your life. The band's gonna come up and uh, as they do, I'll just kind of end with this one final thought and that's this. We live in a society where as it relates to this issue of community and God's vision for community, we are swimming upstream. But I think, it's a, I think that it is all the more reason why we need this in our lives because Jesus loves us and he cares about us and he wants to see us flourishing as people. And so I would really encourage you, take your next steps, take your next steps to get connected to this pattern because it is a pattern that will change you. It'll change you. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you came to make us new, to make us new people, to make us a new community. Thank you that you're at work in us, not just in me, in us, and that you wanna use us to change us. We need us. Thank you. And uh, Jesus, I pray that you would help us, even today, help us to just catch a vision, a small glimpse of what you desire for us and how it can change us. Lord, would you, would you give us a vision beyond what we see in our society, a vision for something more beautiful than that, something more flourishing than that. And so, Father, I pray you'd give us the wisdom to know what our next steps are. And I pray you'd give us the courage to take them. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.